Let's open up to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and um, we actually find ourselves at a pretty important point in our series this morning as we're going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And um, these few verses at the end of chapter 3, they're not only one of the most powerful prayers that are written down in the Bible, but um, this is also a transition from what Paul has been writing about who we are in Christ and he's transitioning now into chapters 4 through 6 about how we are to live because of Christ. So what we see here is that who we are is connected to how we live by prayer. It's important for you to know who you are, but you won't live like you know who you are unless you pray. And you won't live like you know who you are until you pray. How many of us would agree that sometimes in this world it can be really difficult for us to know who we are, right? Sometimes it can be really, really confusing at different points along the way. On the one hand, you've got your job that tells you that you need to be this. On another hand, you've got commercials on TV that tell you that you need to be this. And then on another hand, still, we live in a culture that tells us we can be just about anything we want, no matter how unbelievable it might be. And then at school, you're told that you need to be this, and your friends tell you that you need to be this, and your sister tells you that you need to be that. And before long, you have more identities than Clark Kent in a phone booth, and you have no idea what to do. You have no idea where to go, and everything seems so confusing because everybody wants you to be everything at different times and in different places. And what we need to see is that in that sea of confusion, we need true understanding about who we are. We need to drop the anchor of our identity into a place that will not move. See, when you drop an anchor into the water, the water keeps the boat where it needs to be, right? Keeps the boat from floating into territory where it shouldn't go. And, and even when the waves threaten to push it into different places, into different parts of the sea, that, that anchor goes down and it keeps you steady. It keeps you where you need to be in that moment. You drop your anchor because you want to stay in that one place. And for the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul has been throwing down that anchor for us. And, and telling us that no matter what the teachers and the TVs are telling you, we are dropping our anchor into the ocean of God's word. And God's word tells us that in Christ, we are loved. In Christ, we have been chosen. In Christ, we are adopted. In Christ, we are predestined. In Christ, we have an inheritance that will never go away. We'll have it for all of eternity. In Christ, we have been forgiven. In Christ, we have been redeemed. In Christ, we were once dead in our sins, but now we have been made alive in him. Jesus has done all of these things for us. And so no matter what the culture or the commercials might be telling you, those things will not change. Here's the problem. Sometimes it feels like the waves are pounding pretty hard against the boat, right? It feels like the boat's rocking a little bit, and, and when that happens, it exposes how weak we are to stay afloat all by ourselves. And before long, we find ourselves paying more attention to all of the waves that are banging against our boat, and we have all but forgotten that we have already dropped the anchor into the ocean of God's Word. Here's the question for us today. How do you stay afloat when you've dropped the anchor but the waves keep pounding? How do you keep going and, and living the life that Jesus Christ has saved you and redeemed you to live? In other words, how do you live your identity in Jesus Christ? That's the focus of our passage this morning. Let's have our Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as I begin reading Ephesians 3, verse 14. Good to be in God's Word, right? 
Amen? Amen. All right, let's start reading. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Say amen to that. Amen. Okay, so this passage is built around the need for God to strengthen his people, and specifically to strengthen us in our understanding of who we are. You can see that a few times here in this section. Verse 16, he says that God may grant you to be strengthened with power. Verse 18, he says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. He says it again, verse 20, he prays that all of this would happen according to the power of at work within us. If we are going to be the people that God has saved us to be, then we must pray for God to strengthen us in four ways. We need to pray for God to strengthen us in four specific ways. Here's the first. You can jot this down. God, strengthen us to see where our identity is found. So keep in mind, as we've been making our way through the book of Ephesians, that Paul is writing this to a church. He's not just writing it to one individual. He's not writing it to you or to you or to you or to you. He's writing it to a group of people who have been saved in Jesus Christ. He's writing it to the church. And so instead of saying, hey, listen, you need to pray this for you, which all of that is true, he says, this is what we need to pray together. This is what I am praying for you collectively as the church. So these are prayers that we're going to pray as well. God, strengthen us to see where our identity is found. Not just where my identity is found, but strengthen us to see where our identity is found. In some sense, this is not a really a new section. Paul's just picking up where he left off in verse 1. You can look back to chapter 3 and verse 1, and you'll see that Paul actually begins with the very same words. He says, for this reason. And then in verses 2 to 13, it's kind of like this ellipsis. He's, he's got brackets almost around verses 2 to 13. He sidetracks a little bit, and he wants to remind all of these believers about, about who they are in Christ and what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. Like, I just want to make sure that you get these things right. just want to be sure that we're super clear on this. And so he finishes that thought at the end of verse 13. He comes back now in verse 14. He picks it up again, and he says, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. That's not just a sign of humility. That is actually a sign of great urgency. Because most people in their culture stood when they prayed. And to kneel or to bow when you prayed indicated that something was really, really important. And so Paul says, I'm going to get down on my knees before God because God, we need you right now. Like, we need you for this. We need you for what's in front of us right now. God, I realize that for us to live, our new identity is absolutely impossible for us to do on our own. We need your strength. We need your help to do this. We find out what's so important to him. Notice what he says here. He says, every family in heaven and on earth gets a name. Now, what's in a name? Identity's in a name. 
right? Like I can, I can identify you by a number of different things. I can identify you by the clothes that you wear. I can identify you by the color of your hair. I can identify you by the reality that you have no hair at all. Amen. It's a problem for some of us, but <laughs> right? Fellowship of the foreheads, okay? And so, and so we, know each other, we know each other by our names. Think about God. God has a lot of different names. Right? And, and all of those names tell us something about who God is. They tell us about his character. But notice here, where does our name come from? Our name comes, Paul says, from the Father. Now, in a perfect world, an earthly father should be able to provide at least two things for their children. I mean, an earthly father wants to provide a lot of things for their kids, but, but these are two kind of big picture umbrella things, two things that a father should provide for their earthly children. The first thing is authority. Our Father is, tells us where to go and what to do and how to do it and when to do it and sometimes even why to do it. And, and our Father gives us direction. And as a child, it gives us some sense of joy and satisfaction to be able to do what our Father tells us to do. Think about it. When you were born, who is it that names you? Who is it that gives you your name? Your parents. Your Father gives you your name. So in some sense, an earthly father should be able to give to their children this sense of authority. But at the same time, the second thing our father should provide is intimacy. See, a father who rightly understands his role doesn't just tell us what to do or how to do it. He tells us all of those things because he loves us and he knows that in our doing those things, those things are for our good. See, a good father will do anything that he possibly can to welcome his children into his presence with no threat whatsoever that he will push his children out of his presence at all. Now, I want you to track with me here because there's something going on here and, and it's very interesting. He says, Paul says here that the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, that's a hard phrase to understand, but commentators agree at least on this. First, all of the Christian family, so every believer since the very beginning has been named by the father. That's part of what that phrase means. And so um, we've been given a new identity. We've been given a new name by God through faith in Jesus Christ. But that phrase also means that the idea of fatherhood itself comes directly from God. In other words, God is the one who has given both life and identity to every family that has ever existed. Here's the thing. Paul has been writing this letter to tell the Ephesians and to tell us by extension as well that because we are in Christ, we have been made new. We've been given this new identity. So here's at least a little part of what that means. Dads, your fatherhood in your family is meant to mirror the fatherhood of God in his family. Okay? Dads, your fatherhood in your family is meant to mirror the fatherhood of God in his family. You say, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means authority and intimacy. You see this? It means authority and intimacy. Dads, we have been given an authority by God within our families. We have, as fathers, a responsibility to lead our families to see the Lord in all of life. We have a responsibility to come alongside of our wife, to come before our children and say, this is what it means for you to follow Jesus in your life and in this family, and this is what it means for us together to be part of God's greater family. And in that, we have a unique responsibility to teach our children the identity that Christ died to secure for them. 
We have a responsibility to come alongside of our children and teach them this is what it means for you to be a responsible person. This is what it means for you to make decisions that will glorify God within your life. This is the direction that we are going. We are following after Jesus Christ. And so dads, on some sense, we've been given this authority. But that authority doesn't function in the way that God wants it to unless we use it with a sense of intimacy. It means being present. Means being available. Means being ready. Dads, it means turning off the game to spend time with your kids. Sometimes it, it means dads who are so caught up in social media, dads who are so consumed by looking at a screen in front of them or or looking at the screen of a video game and being willing to put that down and spend some time looking into the eyes of your own children means loving your wife more than you love your job. Like it means being ready. It means, it means coming when your kids come to you and they say, Dad, I've, I've got this situation I'm going through and, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what decision I need to make. What do I do? How do I fit in? What does my life look like? Where do I go with all this? How do I make sense of what's going on in my life right now? And it's being able to, to be ready in that moment to speak the truth of the gospel into those situations, into those circumstances and say, this is what will honor God in that. Let's pray about this. Let's follow Jesus in this way. Authority is intimacy. Here's what it means a little bit for the rest of us. Some of you have um, earthly fathers who gave themselves to teach you regularly that Christ died to give you a new name. Praise God for that. And, and for all of the shortcomings of your earthly father, like thank God for godly fathers. Amen? Like thank the Lord for godly men who follow after Jesus Christ. Thing is, some of you are here and, and you have an earthly father who has either abused that authority or aborted that intimacy or both. Like you're here right now and, and you really don't know what it means to be loved or what it means to be led by your earthly father in a way that pleases God. And, and so much of your present identity has been shaped by the past failures of your earthly father. And if that's you, if that's you right now, if that's where you're at in this moment, I want to take this opportunity and speak the gospel, speak life, and speak hope into that situation that you've been through within your life. And I want you to hear this so clearly. For all of the ways that your earthly father has failed you, your heavenly father never fails you. He will never fail you. For all of the names that your earthly father may have called you, your heavenly father has given you a new name in Jesus Christ. For all of the ways that your earthly father has withheld love from you, your heavenly father will never withhold love from you. He can restore what has been taken. He can heal what has been broken. He can secure the identity that has been lost. Here's the point. Only God can do these things for us. The father from whom every family in heaven and on earth has been named. And in doing these things, only God can properly define you. You need to understand that your name comes from God. Your identity is rooted in God. And so we pray, God, strengthen us to see where our identity is found. Here's prayer number two. Jot this down. God, strengthen us to live by the power of your spirit. 
Strengthen us to live by the power of your spirit. Paul goes on, verse 16, he says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through your spirit, through his spirit, in your inner being. Uh, Mark this down. Living your identity in Christ cannot depend on how your day or your week or your month or your life is going. You get that? Living your identity in Christ cannot depend on how your day, your week, your month, or your life is going. Instead, it depends on the abundance of who God is. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, verse 16, he says that according to the riches of his glory. See, God's glory encapsulates everything that God is in all of his perfection. Okay, We need to understand that God's glory is not simply part of who he is. God's glory is who he is. And the riches of his glory never run out. So what Paul's praying here, he's simply saying, God, out of the vast treasure of who you are and your ability to do anything at all, would you strengthen us with that power through your spirit in our inner being? In other words, to the very core of who we are so that we can live in our identity so that we can live the redeemed life that Jesus has saved us to live. I'm reading a book right now by Andrew Murray called The Spiritual Life, Undeniable Ways to Conquer the Flesh and Grow in Christ. And, and he writes this. Listen carefully. It's, it's a bit of a long quote, so track with me if you can. He says, God calls us to walk in the Spirit at all times. Is not that what you wish? By the way, isn't that what you wish? It's to walk in the Spirit at all times. To walk in the victory that Christ has died to secure for us. He goes on, he says, I need the Spirit so that when I sit down at my table, when my temper might be tempted to rise in my business, in trials of any kind, I may feel the power of the Holy Spirit working in me and moving me. My entire walk is to be according to the Spirit. He goes on, says, let us believe then that there are two powers. Power of the Spirit and the power of sin. Which is stronger, he asks. Many Christians tell me the power of the flesh is stronger. It's very sad that so many think this way. Paul tells me, God tells me, that the power of the Holy Spirit is stronger, and the power of the Holy Spirit can make me free from the law of sin and death if I trust him. It is not here a question of the last root of sin being exterminated. We believe the tendency to evil remains to the end, but we believe this word true is literal truth, that the spirit of life in Christ makes me free from the law of sin to such extent that it has no power over me. And then he finishes like this. He says, my enemy is there, but he cannot touch me. Amen. Like the Spirit of God is so strong. He is strong enough to strengthen you to walk away from sin and to walk with Jesus. So that day by day, no matter what you're going through, you're living like Jesus. Your identity is rooted in Jesus. It's not rooted in the things of the world. It's not rooted in the culture around you. It's not rooted by what you hear at school or what you see on TV. It's rooted in Jesus Christ. Paul says here that the Spirit will do this work in our inner being. He energizes us with his strength so that we understand who we are to the very core of our being. Why is that so important? Because when we understand who we are in our heart, it inevitably changes the way that we live. He says this is an issue here of your heart. 
So let's do some heart work. Where is it in your life that you're depending more right now on your own strength than you are on the strength of the Spirit of God within you? Like if you, if you do an inventory of your life right now and, and all the things that you're trying to do, all the things you're trying to get done, what is it right now that you are depending more on your own strength than you are on the strength of the Spirit of God? What is it that you're just depending on your own strength, period? Like, that's enough, isn't it? What is it that you need to depend on the strength of the Spirit of God? Because here's the thing. Left unchecked, those things will become identity shapers. Those things start to shape your identity within your life. Before we know it, we start defining ourselves by thoughts in our head like, I can do that, and I can do this, and if I don't do that or if I can't do this, then all of a sudden, I'm not who I think I am. I don't need to pray about that. I've got this covered. I can take care of all of these things. I mean, have you ever wondered to yourself, why is it that I don't see any movement in my life on these things? Like, why is it that I'm not farther along in my spiritual growth in my own life right now than I thought I would be at this point? Why is it that when I pray, it just seems like my prayers keep bouncing off the ceiling and I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere? And with so much regularity, I see this, not just in other people, I see it with enough regularity in my own life that I hate it. It keeps coming back to the fact that we are living in our own strength to meet our surface needs instead of living in the power of the Spirit to satisfy our inner being. You see that? Like we've become so accustomed and even so comfortable just to taking care of the surface needs that we see on the top. So I got to stop being angry and I got to be more patient and and I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to do that other thing. That's all surface stuff. And it's not until we get deep down into our hearts and do the heart work that is so hard and sometimes so painful and yet always so good in Jesus Christ. It's not until we get down and do that heart work that transformation then starts to take place. And all of that happens only by the power of the Spirit of God. Here's one of the most basic principles of the Christian life. You will not experience power if you are not plugged into the power source. How many know that to be true, right? You will not experience power in your life if you are not plugged into the power source. It's true of all of life, isn't it? If you don't plug in your toaster, your toaster's not gonna work. If you don't plug in your coffee maker, your coffee maker's not gonna work. That's a bad morning at our house, right? Like no toast, no coffee in the morning. That's not gonna go well, okay? Your phone's not gonna charge if you don't plug it in. Like we see all of this around us all of the time and it applies to the Christian life. You will not experience power in your life if you are not plugged in to the power source. But when you are plugged in to the power source of the Holy Spirit of God, that's when you see light. That's when you see power. That's when you see heat that starts to radiate out of your life so that it's affecting not just the people around you, it's affecting not just the surface needs of your life, although it does that, but all of a sudden, it's going down into your inner being. It is going down into your heart because you're plugged into the power source of the Holy Spirit of God, and he specializes in heart work. He specializes in getting to the root of what we need to happen within our lives. Aren't you so thankful for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit within your life? Can we just pause here for a second? Just in the middle of this, can we, can we just pause right now and can we just pray and, and just right where you are, 
Just take five, seven, ten seconds. Just pray right now and say, Spirit of God, thank you so much for everything that you do in my life. Just pray to him right now. God, strengthen us to live by the power of your spirit, which leads us now to the next part of this prayer. Number three, God, strengthen us to know that Jesus loves us more than we can understand. Strengthen us to know that Jesus loves us more than we can understand. Now, uh, don't read these next few verses so quickly that you're not overwhelmed by this. Like one of the tragedies of our days is that we're overwhelmed by all the wrong things. So let's just make some space here and and let's be overwhelmed by Jesus this morning. You good with that? Okay, let's start here. First of all, notice that his love is immovable. His love is immovable. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul's not saying here that Christ doesn't live in them yet. He does. He's talking instead about being able to see the impact of the one who is already living there. That's what that word dwell means. Verse 17, he goes on, he says that, that we are rooted and grounded in love. So understand that this is not the love that we have for Christ. This is not the love that we have for each other. Instead, this is the love that Christ has for us. We are rooted and grounded in the love that he has for us. You need to understand that the love of Christ for you is the soil in which everything good grows in your life. And it's only because that love is rooted and grounded in Christ that it is immovable. But then he goes on and he says his love is immeasurable. Verse 18, he says we need the Spirit of God to help us understand how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is for us. Because in the end, you cannot contain the love of God for you. Like, Do you understand that? Like God's love is so great, so strong, so big, so powerful, you just can't contain it. You can't wrap your arms around it. You can't fully understand it. In fact, I want you to see a little bit of how the Bible talks about God's love for us. Uh, notice this up on the screen, Jeremiah 31, verse 3. God speaks through Jeremiah to his people and, and speaking also to us. He says, I have loved you, here it is, with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. I love that. Like God continues his faithfulness to his people. He continues his faithfulness to us. Why? Because of his love that never ends. His love is everlasting and all we really need to do is take a look at the cross and, and we see the everlasting love of God. We see that, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and he died for us so that we could enter into this eternal, everlasting relationship of love with God. Praise the Lord. Notice this next, Micah 7, verse 18. Micah says, Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing your unfailing love. So his love's not only everlasting, but his love is unfailing. Like, just think for all of the ways that people in your life have let you down, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, whoever it is, for all of the ways that, that they have made promises but not followed through, for all the things they said they would do but they didn't do. Like when you think about your relationship with God, his love for you never fails. How about this, Romans 8, 38 and 39. You're, many of you are probably familiar with this. Paul says, 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in this life can separate you from the love that God has for you in Jesus Christ. And ultimately, all of this now is pointing us back to the cross. It's pointing us back to the place where God most clearly demonstrated his love for you and me by giving his only son to die in our place and for our sins, to take the entirety of our punishment for our sins, to be put on Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, in our place, so that by faith we could be made right with him. Like we see this love of God all over the place. That's how much he loves us. And, and Paul's saying here, how could we possibly comprehend, he says in Ephesians 3, how could we comprehend a love that is so wide and long and high and deep? Like, take a look at those descriptor words right there. Take a look at those last two especially. High and deep, you know what that is? That's measuring the same thing. Because something that's as high as it is is also as deep as it is. He's saying the same thing, like he's just kind of reaching for words here because he can't get over how amazing the love of God is for him. How could we possibly comprehend a love that is so wide and long and high and deep without looking to the place where the author of love took the punishment for us? Like where, where the perfecter of love secured salvation for sinful people like us. That is how much God loves you. That is how much Jesus loves us. God strengthen us to see that Jesus loves us more than we can possibly understand. So not only is his love immovable and immeasurable, notice this too, his love is also incomprehensible. Verse 19, Paul goes on and he prays for us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That word know um, in verse 19 is not just an intellectual knowledge in your head. It's not just something you know in your head. This is also an experiential knowledge in your life that ultimately changes your heart. So it's not just something you know up here. It's something that you, you experience in your life that ultimately changes your heart. So Paul's saying, I'm praying that you're going to strive to know something that you can never fully know, something that you will never fully contain, something that you will never see the end of. And then that just leads into what he says next. He says that God's love is inexhaustible. Look at what he says at the end, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So simply put, he's praying for them to grow in spiritual maturity. He's saying, I'm praying that this love would fill you so powerfully and change you so dramatically that there will not be any more of you that lives for yourself, but instead lives only for him. I'm praying that this love is just going to so radically change who you are that you'll realize that, that knowing God is like a fountain that never runs dry. It's like a waterfall that never stops falling, that there's this limitless supply of grace that God gives to the life that will pursue him. Like the love of God is so powerful that it can change you like that. It can change anybody like that. It can change the person that you've been praying for. It changes us so deeply. Now, what's interesting here is that Paul not only tells us what, it is, what this is, but he tells us also how it happens. And so it happens first, he says here, by the power of the Spirit of God within us. So check, we've got that. We've already talked about that. But he gives us another clue here in verse 18. Notice, he says, I'm praying that you may have strength to comprehend, he says, with all 
the saints. You see that? Verse 18. With all the saints. The only way that we keep growing in our understanding of this love that we can never fully know and never fully contain is if we commit to doing this with all the saints. Okay, look up here. The stakes just went up. Okay, do you see that? The stakes just went up exponentially. Because part of what he's saying here is that you cannot continue to grow in your understanding of this love that you can never fully know or ever fully contain unless you are willing to humble yourself in relationships with all the saints. You won't continue to grow until you're willing to humble yourself in relationships with all the saints. Your spiritual growth will be stunted if you're not willing to grow with other believers. Why? Because God says that we learn more about his love for us as we see the power of that love worked out in our relationships with each other. Think about what Paul says in Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We work this out in relationship with one another. Like It's important for us to grow in our intellectual understanding of the love of God for us. All agree? It's important for us to grow in our intellectual understanding of that love. But isn't it true that those intellectual lessons get so cemented into our hearts when we see them being played out right in front of us? Isn't that true? Let me give you an example. You need to go to somebody and ask somebody else to forgive you for something that you did to sin against them. And so you go to them and you say to them, listen, this is the way that I sinned against you. Uh, Would you please forgive me? And that person looks back at you and says, yes, absolutely, totally, unequivocally, I forgive you. And now by the grace and the power of God, we're going to move on from this. And isn't it true in that moment that though you know about the forgiveness that God has for you and the love that he has for you, that in that moment, in that experience, something gets cemented deeper into your heart. And you understand a little bit more of God's love for you. Flip the table on that. Somebody else comes to you and says, listen, I've sinned against you. Can you please forgive me? You say to them, yes, absolutely, totally, unequivocally. I forgive you in Jesus' name and by his grace and power, we're going to move on from this. And and isn't it true that not only do you learn something in that moment about grace and love and forgiveness, but now that person's learning something about it as well. Like we learn these things in experience and in relationship with one another. The problem here is that when you withdraw from those relationships, You are instantly limiting the opportunities that you could have to see the power of God's love worked out in your life. It's not that God stops loving you. It's not that those verses we read just a few minutes ago all of a sudden stop being true for you. That's not what we're saying. But there's a very real sense that when you withhold yourself from deep, genuine, grace-filled relationships within the church, then your spiritual growth that was once going like this all of a sudden starts to go like this. And inevitably, if you leave it long enough to stay like that, it's going to start going like this. That's why I believe that one of the best ways for all of this to happen is in the context of small groups. Is that the only way it happens? No, of course not. 
It's not what we're saying, but, but I will say with tremendous conviction that it is one of the best ways for this to happen within our lives. It can happen in small groups, in discipleship groups, in mentoring relationships. It can happen in a number of different ways. And why there? What's so important about that? Because those are the times where we are intentionally coming together in community and around God's word for the purposes of knowing and experiencing God's love for us. God's love for each other. So listen really carefully. Your identity is defined by Christ, but it is developed in community. Okay? Your identity is defined by Christ and Him alone, but that identity is developed in community. Listen, I have a responsibility in this church and, and I'm not speaking as pastor, I'm speaking as your brother in Christ. I have a responsibility in this church to live the love of Christ that we can never fully know or ever fully contain so that together we grow to be more like Jesus. You have a responsibility in this church to live the love of Christ that we can never fully know or ever fully contain so that together we will grow to be more like Jesus. Together we have a responsibility with one another to live the love of Christ for each other. So that's why we pray. God, strengthen us to know that Jesus loves us more than we can possibly understand. And it's within this context of community, this context of the family of God, where we see that love being played out on a regular basis. God, strengthen us. Finally, this, number four. God, strengthen us to give you all the glory for everything that you have done. This has been a favorite couple of verses for this church from before the day that we started almost five years ago. Take a look at verse 20. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, there's a lot of situations that we go through and we pray for God to do more than we could ever ask or think. And our God has the power to do that. Amen? Our God has the power to do that. But, but I want you to see the primary meaning here. Paul has now spent three chapters in the book of Ephesians drilling deep on who we are in Jesus Christ. That God chose us from before the foundation of the world, that he raised us from being dead in our sin and made us alive in Christ. And now through his power, he's bringing Jews and Gentiles together into this family of God through faith in Jesus Christ called the church. And, and so here's where it is. He says, God is doing far more abundantly some of the older translations say that God is doing exceedingly abundantly more. I love that. God is doing exceedingly abundantly more. It's one of those places almost like where Paul's just making up words. He's, he's pulling on the leash of language because there just aren't enough words to describe how amazing and magnificent this is. He says, God is doing far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think by saving us and then bringing us into this global, eternal, history-enduring family. And now he's changing us and he's growing us and he's making us more like Jesus day by day as we walk in this new identity. And he's doing all of that according to the power that is at work within us. Listen, God has saved you by his power. God has brought you into the family of God by his power. 
God strengthens you day by day in every situation with that power to live like Jesus, no matter what the situation is that you go through, no matter how amazingly it feels, the odds are stacked against you. Listen, it's that power that is in you that goes with you day in and day out as a follower of Jesus Christ. God's power is at work within us to help us live every day in our new identity in Jesus Christ. You say, well, what power is that? the power that created the heavens and the earth. You say, what power is that? It's the power that parted the Red Sea. You say, what power is that? It's the power that brought down the walls of Jericho when people marched around and blew into trumpets. You say, what power is that? It's the power that made the sun stand still. You say, what power is that? It's the power that dropped a giant with a stone. You say, what power is that? It's the power that calmed a storm. You say, what power is that? It's the power that raised the dead and healed the sick and made the lame to walk and the blind to see. You say, what power is that? It's the power that fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves of bread and two fish. You say, what power is that? It's the power that emptied the grave of our Savior. And it's, it's that, it's that power that is in you today, right here, right now. It is that power that helps you live your new identity in Jesus Christ. The power is at work in us and has rescued us from being a people with no identity and has made us a people with a new identity. Praise God that he can do this. And because he can do this, we should be asking him every day to do far more exceedingly, abundantly, supernaturally more than we could ever ask or imagine. We have seen this power change us. We have seen this power change the people around us. Like, why stop now, God? Like, God, why not? Why not right now? Save a city. Save, save a region. Lord, turn the heart of this nation back to you. God, send us to the deepest, farthest parts of the world where the gospel has never been heard and save people for the glory of your name. God, save us. God, God, turn this situation around. God, heal this disease. God, fix this situation. God, soften the heart of this person that I've been praying for for so long. God, why not? Why not now, God? Why not save a city? God, do all of it for one ultimate purpose for your glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. May we never be so short-sighted as to think that the power of God that works in us and around us is only for us. Because notice here, Paul says, throughout all generations. There are generations coming after us who need to know that there is a God in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. There is a generation coming after us that needs to know that there is a God who loves them so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die in their place and for their sins, to take the full punishment of their sins upon himself, dying for them and then rising again for them. Victory over sin and death for all of eternity that if they will turn away from their sins and turn away from themselves and place their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ, they too can be saved and have this power at work in them. They they too can be given a new name. They can be given a new identity in Jesus Christ. There are Christians 
in this church who are young in both age and in faith, who need to know what it means for God's power to be at work in them just like it is at work in us. Why? So God is glorified forever and ever. And then Paul says, amen. It's a simple word of affirmation. Like I'm saying yes to everything that God says is true. Let it be, Lord. Let it be so among your people, even today, right here, right now, in this church, in this city, in this nation, for the glory of your name. Let it be so. Would you stand with me, please?